0: i Jenna.
1: And I'm Sam.
0: And you're listening to
1: Cincinnati Zoo Tales. So, welcome back. We're here with Scott Weddingate, and he's the executive director of the WAVE Foundation at the Newport Aquarium. Thanks for
2: being here, Scott. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, what is WAVE? Thank you for asking because a lot of people, <laughs> I get that question quite a I'm bit. I'm sure you do, yeah. Everybody in this community knows and understands the Newport Aquarium, but they don't really understand WAVE Foundation. So, we are the nonprofit partner of the Newport Aquarium, and okay. we focus really on commu- creating community change through our education programs, our conservation initiatives, and our volunteer services. And we believe that every child in our region should be inspired by the wildlife at the Newport Aquarium, even if they don't have access to the aquarium. So, we do education outreach programs where we're one of the two aquariums in the nation that can actually bring live sharks and stingrays and traveling aquariums out to greater Cincinnati schools, daycares, libraries, senior centers, so we can really inspire people here in our region with marine wildlife. That's really neat. It's, it's a lot of fun. It gets me out of bed every morning and I love it. Yeah, and you've been with the WAVE for about five years now? Yes, about coming up on five years in May. Okay, I I previously worked here at the Cincinnati Zoo, believe it or not. You did? Yeah. I was wondering
0: if we could bring that up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and then they kicked me out. Okay, so (laughs) you've got some history here as well. Yeah, it's a great organization, and I love being back. It's awesome. Thank you.
0: Yeah, we're glad to have you. I think WAVE is really neat. The zoo does similar programs, but of course we aren't taking animals that depend on water to different schools and that sort of thing. And I think it's incredible that a lot of kids that you're sharing these animals with we will never even get to see the ocean, let alone see a shark swimming in the ocean. So it's really cool that you are able to bring them these animals that live somewhere they may, may, may never get to visit.
2: Well, and that's one thing that I always like to point out. Because we bring marine and aquatic species out, sharks and stingrays and lake sturgeon, a lot of the kids have, of course, never met a shark before, never looked eye to eye with a stingray, never felt the sensation of what a shark feels like underwater. And heck, they haven't even felt the sensation of salt water, which is something that I think probably us three or us four in this room could say, you know, we can jump on a plane and be at the ocean and experience salt water. So it's really neat to be able to provide those unprecedented experiences for young kids and then also let them peek under the surface of the ocean and see the wildlife that's beautiful and amazing out there. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Can I ask about that for a minute? I because would love to.
1: I know here at the zoo, we do animal appearances off-site, and we might bring in an armadillo, which is a land mammal, but you're talking about bringing sharks. How does that work?
2: All right, so logistically... <laughs> yeah, it's yeah right, problem. right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, all right, if you guys could imagine four overhead projectors smashed together, all right, and we've that's sort of about how big our rectangular traveling aquarium is. Okay. It holds about 40 gallons of salt water, And it has four wheels, and so we wheel it in and out of um, schools and libraries, and we actually plug into the wall water pumps, pump the water out of big Yeti coolers, put that into the traveling aquariums, turn the life support systems on, on the traveling aquarium, and then that pumps and circulates and filters the water. And then we take the sharks out of the Yeti coolers and put them in the traveling aquarium. So if you could imagine just like a miniaturized traveling aquarium with about six inches deep of water and the sharks swimming around in there.
1: Whose idea was that?
2: It was, uh, it was actually an idea that came from our operations department. Okay. The, the Newport Aquarium before WAVE was really active in education outreach programs, Put that together as a promotional item, so they would take it out into the community. And we've since refined it, and it's about Shark Cart 3.0 at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of revisions, lots of different iterations. But yeah, now it's it's uh, it's pretty easy. I think if you would ask the staff at the Wave Foundation if it's easy, they probably disagree that with. Sounds you. like a yeah. lot but, of work. Yes. You going to get a
0: special vehicle for it, right? Yes,
2: and thanks to the elsa Sewell Foundation, we have two Mercedes Sprinter vans. Um, that, that we're able to put lifts on the back and then take those aquariums in the salt water with the animals in and bring them around to various schools throughout our region. So how often are you doing this? Oh, my goodness. We do about 830 programs annually, outreach programs, and about uh, 45% of those are aquatic outreach. So we also take out African penguins, snakes, turtles, lizards, sort of common zoo fare as well um, with our education outreach programs.
1: That has to be amazing that you probably get the response, hey, what did you do at school today? <laughs> I met a shark.
2: Well, right. it's amazing because sometimes we'll go back to the same school and we'll have teachers and administrators that get calls from parents. And the kids go home and the ever-popular question around the dinner table is, hey, what would you do at school? Normally the answer is absolutely nothing. What would you learn? Nothing. And then when they come home and they have that dinner conversation and it's, oh, I touched a shark today, the parents call the school and they're like, hold on, what happened? Is he or she making this up? You know, and then we'll get a call from the parent, like, what kind of shark was it? Because everybody pictures a great white shark, right? You know, this, this monster, Jaws. And in fact, we bring out epaulette sharks, which are about 13 inches long when we take them out. And so they're not big. They don't have huge teeth. But um, what's conjured up in people's minds are that picture of Jaws and the great white shark coming into classroom. So it's not that. Right. Not to be underwhelming, but it, it is no,
1: definitely still a it, shark. But it's perception changing, too. Exactly.
0: It, right? Exactly. And then they're not as scary, they're not as big, they don't have those big scary teeth. Either and the kids can realize that sharks are not scary and sharks really aren't something you need to be worried about in your day-to-day life. I think I read something like sharks kill maybe 12 people a, a year total and more, do you know the...
2: I don't know the exact numbers, but yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions around how aggressive sharks are towards humans. And the numbers are really, really incredibly low. You right. know, I, I believe it's it's something on the order of you are more likely to get struck by lightning than you are right. to be Absolutely. bit by a shark out in the ocean. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of different numbers floating around out there that, that are a little bit misleading. And Jaws, the movie, and the editor and director of the movie actually regrets putting that out because wow. you know this yeah. panic sort of struck across anybody that watched it about the ocean and and what lurks beneath. Have
1: you ever witnessed that moment where the maybe the person that you're having this experience with has been
2: hesitant and then just has walked away just with a different viewpoint? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we see that quite often. You know, we see the light bulbs come on in kids' minds and we see that curiosity that just naturally they exhibit when when a live animal comes into a classroom or into a program. Um, and so, yeah, we, we turn that, that misconception and mindset around quite a bit mm-hmm. because the epaulet sharks um, their mouths are, are located on the, on the bottom, and so they don't really have teeth like a, a classic great white shark would or an apex predator would, so um, we're able to, to calm the kids down and the parents, for that matter, <laughs> when, when we get adults going. Um, and so, yeah, really turn around that misconception and talk about the value of having predators in the ocean and uh, the need to maintain our ecosystems.
1: So when they're going through these programs, what is your goal for them to take away when they leave and go home to tell their parents at the dinner table that I'm a shark and what's their follow-up to that, that you hope they
2: bring? Yeah, know. it depends on the program, right? Yeah. So, when we go to schools, it's often based around science literacy and understanding the scientific process through inquiry education. So, that's one of our focus when we go into classrooms. We want to align with state standards and then we also want to teach not only discrete facts about the animal, it's this long, this is what it eats, this is where it lives, but we also want to teach the process of critical thinking. Whenever I think of the scientific method and critically analyzing things, when we can bring science to life inspired by live animals and leverage students' natural curiosity of, oh my gosh, what's it doing? Who would win in a fight? Those classic questions that that everybody asks, we can leverage that into teaching a scientific thought process, which is not only academically beneficial for the students, but also provides them a learning anchor point. The teachers and administrators, as they matriculate through school, can lean back to and say, hey, uh, do you guys remember when the shark came in and we went through this process and we asked these questions, we made them comparative, we analyzed it, and we collected data. So although it may seem like gratuitous fun bringing live animals into classrooms, it's actually there's a lot of scientific merit to it, and we've been able to leverage that uh, pretty well.
0: So that's a part of your LCI program, correct? Yes, that is. Can you tell us more about what that stands for and exactly what it does?
2: Sure, yeah. Our LCI program is our Living Curriculum Initiative, where we literally bring science to life in classrooms, and we, we leverage students' natural curiosity of wild animals and live animals, especially sharks, in classrooms, and we teach them the scientific method. It's aligned with state standards, and we follow students for three years, and we visit them three times annually. We also host professional development for their teachers, so then they can better facilitate the scientific process and critical thinking and problem solving in their classrooms when we're not there. And luckily, um, in in 2018, we were recognized by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums for... um, uh, we received top honors in STEM education. It's amazing. To the Aza, it's really exciting. In for, the whole
0: country, like. yeah.
2: For for a small nonprofit like Wave Foundation, with an operating budget of about seven hundred thousand dollars annually, to win a national award like that was um, was an honor for us, and and just is is an example of how wonderful the staff at Wave is.
0: I would have killed to have that sort of program come to school when I was younger. Yeah. Like as a zookeeper, any chance I got to have any sort of animal interaction or go to the zoo or anything would have been amazing. I already loved science class. I can't imagine if like how much that would impact me. I can't imagine how it impacts people that again, have never even had the chance to go to the ocean or kids that, you know, haven't had those opportunities. Yeah.
2: One thing we track, we've got a NSF national science foundation postdoctoral researcher who does our evaluation for that program. And because it's a three year program and we follow those students all three years from third to fourth to fifth grade, um, it gives us an opportunity to really analyze the progress that we're making with the individual kids and how well they understand the scientific process and also how well they're going to test on their 5th grade science proficiency. So that's the reason we started in 3rd grade, followed them into 4th and then into 5th so we can really reinforce those concepts along the way and see if we can't boost their scientific uh, proficiency test scores.
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
2: And how those test scores get doing. Um, right now, we're we're in our first year of fifth graders. Okay. So this began two years ago, and so we will know. I'd love to come back and tell you guys all yeah. about it. Yeah. Anecdotally, <laughs> right now we are seeing some pretty amazing stuff. So some kids, there's a lot of transferring between schools for students in Cincinnati Public School. Um, there's just a lot of movement between schools, both with teachers and parents, and, and then of course students. But what we've seen is students that participated in the LCI program the previous year. The second year that we visit their classroom, they're actually facilitating the scientific method to the students that were not a part of the LCI program the previous year. So anecdotally, we're seeing really, really good indications of how powerful using live animals in classrooms to facilitate science literacy really is.
1: Now is it just sharks or do you bring other animals as part of the Wave Foundation to the schools and the programs? We do. um,
2: Yes, we've got two saltwater carts. So we do stingrays and sharks, and then we've got a freshwater cart that we bring out, Lake Sturgeon. So then we can really talk about how us as humans living on a terrestrial environment, our behavior transcends our environment and affects aquatic habitats.
1: And how do we do that? I mean, just, you know, locally, what can I take away, you know, from the local standpoint of helping out our local, you know, watersheds and habitats
2: throughout our region? Yeah, so... Interestingly enough, I, um, I took a young man out to lunch who asked me, Hey, Scott, how do I get in the field of conservation, mm-hmm. or how do I become a conservationist? And if you work at a zoo or an aquarium, you get people asking those questions an awful lot. And, and so I, I was excited about it. You know, it's, it's great. We want more participation in conservation, right? I mean, that's a good thing. So his enthusiasm was awesome. And I gave him sort of my standard answer of, well, you can be in conservation education, You can, you know, do education to drive conservation, behavior, and change. You can be that person out in Africa, you know, that's covered in khaki with a pith helmet and collecting data, you know, going to school, getting a PhD, research, right? Yeah. That's one route. Or you could be in animal care, work at a zoo or an aquarium, and those are sort of the three angles that, that was my advice to them. But after I thought about it, that makes conservation really exclusive and Conservation is not an exercise in exclusivity, right? Right. If we want to change the world, then we all need to think and behave and act like conservationists. And I think that's the key point of if we want to affect change, it's going to be through small behavioral changes that each one of us make, listening and sitting around this table right now that we'll make, and that will make a bigger impact. And so, to be a conservationist isn't to go to school for four years and get a PhD or you have to work at a zoo to be a conservationist. To be a conservationist is simply just to make choices and pro-conservation choices.
0: And you guys, we talked about this, you know, we always want to do more. And that's the whole point of this podcast is to help people figure out ways that they can do more. And we'll talk about your what can I do advice at the end, but tell us, I mean, Sam mentioned locally, you guys do a river sweep each year that people can participate in, Are there other things locally that... People can get involved with wave. They can they can dive, right? They can
2: absolutely. We have the the best shark diving in the Midwest. <laughs> so if, if you want to volunteer, you can um, you can be a volunteer uh, diver at the aquarium through the Wave Foundation. Uh, this year, June twentieth, we do river sweep annually, where we get about hundred volunteers and we clean up the banks of the Ohio River. We've also adopted a highway that is parallel to the Ohio River so then we can reinforce that concept of trash that lands on land will inevitably end up in the Ohio River Um, and so we clean up that as well if you want you can um, come visit the aquarium visit the zoo or centers for conservation and places where people can be inspired to want to create change and I do want to go back to the conservation point and how we can all be conservationists unfortunately I think right now we don't have the infrastructure in place to become conservationists, right? So if Elon Musk was like, hey, everybody gets a Tesla, you know, something approximating what Oprah would do with <laughs> her audience, right? Everybody in the world gets a Tesla. We don't have the infrastructure to plug that in. But on a, on a smaller and more local level, I think we need conservation action infrastructure. So what does that mean? To be a conservationist, we need that infrastructure. So we need to have reusable straws. We need to refuse straws when we go out with our friends. No, I don't need a straw. Just give me the drink. It doesn't matter. Um, we need to to use um, shampoo bars of soap, which was something that, that my wife has has made me try and at first, I'll be honest, I I resisted it and I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. Just give me like, give me the normal shampoo. I don't like, I love conservation. I love the world. I was a hard sell on it The the all-in-one body wash shampoo conditioner. That's what they, (laughs) (laughs) and so if we can replace our our single use plastics that inevitably end up into landfills and sometimes the ocean, we can make a difference. I mean, if you extrapolate just the number of plastic bags packed in a lunch, each day in each household because both adults and kids pack their lunches you extrapolate that to a neighborhood we could probably fill this room up with plastic bags over a year so if we replace those with beeswax wraps and other non-single use plastics that's the infrastructure that we need to all be able to become conservationists we can go we can visit the cincinnati zoo we can visit the newport aquarium we can be inspired to want to do something but if we don't have that infrastructure then we can't sustain that behavioral change and so i think the ecocell program that you guys do it here at the zoo is phenomenal it gives people an opportunity to not only be inspired by the wildlife they meet here the interactions they have here but then also contribute to conservation and so i think it's just thinking like a conservationist when we consume because hey we're pretty good at at consuming yes so um yeah it's just it's it's just a subtle pivot from Um, our daily lives that I think can make a big difference. That's a great
1: point. It's just this consciousness of being aware of the impact you're having on the small scale. And again,
2: we've talked about this before, but little steps equal to big change. Yes. And extrapolate that over neighborhoods, over the city of Cincinnati, over our region. and, And then we're doing the right thing for wildlife and for conservation and frankly, for our natural resources.
0: Right. So you've told us a lot about your job, but you are the executive director of the WAVE Foundation. So you have a staff that is fulfilling a lot of these education outreach programs and you have a different role. Uh, what, what is your favorite part of the job? Goodness,
2: That's a great question. So I think the easy answer would say watching kids be inspired by animals that they would likely never meet or have an opportunity to even peek under the surface of the ocean, but truly, I love leading people and and watching people get better at their job. I've got, in fact, I've got two staff members that have been at Wave Foundation for 20 years and we just celebrated our our 20 year anniversary. Wow. Yeah, in 2019. (laughs) And so institutional knowledge they have um, and their ability to to step up and move the needle over the last five years. I credit them with with being able to do that, but I'm happy that I was able to, to be alongside with them and, and, and sort of shepherd that change. It was, uh, it's really powerful. So I love doing that. I love the education side of things. I love giving to our international partners. Um, we, we send about $20,000 annually to help save animals from extinction, specifically the African penguin, which is one of the hero animals at Newport Aquarium. So it's, it's all of that, but, but watching people step up is, is especially enriching for me.
0: And it's great if you have a good leader that can bring people together and work as a team, you can do so much more. So that's really important um, that you enjoy leading people. And I wanted to say, we did get some information on these uh, shark attacks. And I think we should bring that back because I wanna make sure people are learning and know that sharks are good. I think they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, but in 2019, only two people were killed by sharks. And it's kind of amazing when you think about the fact that humans kill 100 million sharks each year. So we have no reason to be afraid of sharks. They have every reason to be afraid of us. And I've heard about shark fin soup and how that's a huge issue. Do you have any information on that? I know it's not huge here in the United States, but.
2: Well, there are some states that have outlawed the sale of shark fin soup and Kentucky is one state that still allows it, and we're working with folks in Frankfurt to try to change that. There's not a whole bunch, or you wouldn't walk into a lot of restaurants that would offer that, but there are some. Um, So yeah, we we can make a difference here in the Midwest on on global conservation and marine conservation initiatives here locally. It's kind of interesting. I mean, that that ripple effect is is really important to think about.
0: Right, if you kill the demand, then hopefully they'll stop killing the sharks. If if no one wants fin soup, shark fin soup, then yeah it's it's basic yeah
2: you're right it's it's basic economics supply and demand if there's if there's no demand for it um and we can slow down the supply we can eliminate the problem so Janet, do you want to ask the question
0: yes so as a listener what can i do that's a great question
2: (laughs) and that's a big question (laughs) that's (laughs) that's a big question arguably the most important (laughs) question in conservation That's it.
0: What can I do? But you've touched on many things. So if you can focus on one action item, because, you know, we want to talk about them through all of our podcasts and different episodes, we want to help people by giving them one small change they can make. What would be something that you would suggest?
2: All right, this is going to be a long-winded answer, so I apologize ahead of time. Okay. Because I think the how in changing behavior is equally as important as the act itself. And if we talk about the how, then we can sustain the behavior. So I love coffee, I probably drink too much coffee. I see you shaking your head, yes, I I drink too much (laughs) coffee. I can attest to that. (laughs) So the normal or average American drinks two cups of coffee a day. So that's 700 cups of coffee. So if you buy a reusable mug and fill it up, you're gonna eliminate 700 lids and cups from the landfill annually, just your person, yourself. But just buying that, I'm sure we all have refillable mugs, right? But using them and how to use them and sort of sustain that behavior is the trick. So I always keep two reusable mugs, one in my vehicle and one at work because those are the two places where I consume coffee. So they're always with me. So then I never forget when I go to Starbucks, I can just have them fill up the coffee cup rather than using a new um, single-use cup, single-use plastic lid. So I would say get your refillable mugs and get two of them, put one in your vehicle and one in your office and sustain that behavior change.
0: I like that. That's a good one for you because you do drink a lot of coffee and that affects you on a daily basis. You can make a daily change for the better. And I'm pretty sure a lot of coffee shops, uh, Starbucks for sure, will give you a discount if you bring in a reusable mug because they are also supporting this, uh, you know, stopping the use of single-use plastic or at least reducing your amounts. And yeah, even if you have three, one at home, that's always clean and you can switch it out. But at least that's just three cups that will hopefully last at least five years. And you're reducing the amount of of waste. So I think that's a great one.
2: It is. Yeah. And it it works. And it's something that we think about every morning, right? At least when I wake up, I'm I'm looking (laughs) for a cup of coffee. So it's something that I think we can all do and make a difference. You know, 700 per person per year. So extrapolate that to your neighborhood, just to your family, you know what I mean? And you extrapolate those numbers out across yes, the nation. And and we are making a big difference with those small behavioral changes.
0: Thank you so much for coming. Do you have anything yeah. else you'd like us to know about the How Wave Foundation? How do I get Foundation? the Wave Foundation
1: to come to my organization
0: there if we I want go. them to
2: come? That's a great question, Sam.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, well, you guys can visit wavefoundation.org and jump on our website. You can book programs, ask questions. Give us a call, give me a call directly.
0: Can you and go to weddings, birthday parties? Do you do those sorts of things? We're always educational.
2: It, yeah, we really, some, some events we'll do, um, but we're pretty selective with that. But schools, libraries, daycares, senior centers, any place where we can have an opportunity to educate people about aquatic life and the importance of conservation will be there.
0: Great. Yeah,
2: thanks so much, Scott. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me.
0: Thanks for coming in, sir.
2: It's good to be back at the zoo.
1: Thanks again for joining us today and listening to Scott Wingate, Executive Director of the Wave Foundation. Now, Jenna, there was one question I didn't get to ask Scott while he was here. He has the same last name as you.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe some of our listeners might have noticed. I know a little bit about Scott. He actually is my husband. About 10 years ago, we met here at the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, He mentioned that he, he did used to work here and it turns out that the Cincinnati Zoo is good for more than just animal conservation and they actually helped me find my husband. So Scott Wingate is my husband and I'm very proud of him.
1: Cincinnati Zoo, always doing great things here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in and join us next time on Cincinnati Zoo Tales.